Hey, Psalm 126, I want to read it to you. This is our kind of our key passage for the day. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves. It's a good word. Bringing his sheaves with him. I'm sure we could all look back at a particular time in life and acknowledge that that particular season for you, even if it didn't always look like it on the outside, but you knew on the inside, felt more like a season of sowing in tears than it did reaping with shouts of joy. You felt like you were just sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing, and there wasn't much reaping, or even when there was reaping, there wasn't the type of reaping that had the shouts of joy with it. It was more just like labor-intensive, hard reaping, even when there was reaping. This morning, what I want to do is I want to tell the collective redemption story. We call them redemption stories, what happened with Logan, and we had one in the nine o'clock that was equally as beautiful, uh, and, and, and these redemption stories are, of course, uh, there's individual ones, but we have a collective redemption story around here, and it's our redemption story as a church. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to share that story using Psalm 126 and the themes presented in it uh, as my base passage. I also want to bring up another verse that will serve uh, to kind of move along what I, what I want to get across this morning as well. This is John 12, 24. It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear fruit. Much fruit. In this passage, that verse in John, and then in the Psalm 126, we see two themes in Scripture that uh, connect to each other and are really the two primary themes of the New Testament. Theme one is death and resurrection. Theme two is sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. These two themes are much throughout the New Testament. And this morning, I want to talk about how those two themes uh, form really the story of our church. And so I know some of you are new this morning, and maybe you thought this was the beginning of Satan hates Genesis 1. We tricked you. I'm glad you're here anyway, right? That starts next week, so now you got to come back. And this week, though, is uh, really, it's, uh, it's a week between the series we just got done and the beginning of Satan hates Genesis 1 next week. And what we're doing is we're celebrating our five-year birthday as a church, and I want to tell you our redemption story and pull out some points and some truths that we have learned uh, about God's love for us over these five years. And we've learned them individually, we've learned them collectively. And so I'm gonna kind of weave those into the story. So all good stories start, we'll get to this next week, in the beginning. So we're gonna talk about the beginning a little bit. This was five years ago or so as a church when uh, we had our beginning. And, and the way it started is there was a group of us who were coming out of what could only be labeled a death, a death. 
It was an ending of something, something that was good, that was beautiful, that turned wrong. And, uh, and if you've been around church long enough, you've been around church things. And uh, you know, it's not to revisit all of that, but just to say that the, the, the scene or the setting was, uh, was uh, kind of we were coming out of a death. And there was a group of people, uh, some, some older guys and their wives, and, uh, who came around me and my girlfriend at the time, Lindsay, and said, hey, you guys want to plant another church? And I said, nope, I want to move to Africa. <laughs> Not really. I said, well, okay, let me think about it. <laughs> and uh, in the an original meeting that we had, and by the way, I think it's always good to give honor where honor is due. And this morning, none of us would not be here um, if it weren't for a few people. And so as a church, we're going to take a moment and say thank you. And I want to start um, with a couple and, and just take a second on our fifth birthday. And I want to first start and say there is one person who um, has been uh, with me every step of the way um, that I would not be here today uh, for many, many reasons without, and that is my dad. And so can we just say thank you? Also, it's his birthday tomorrow, so, you know. He is not turning five. Or anything with a five in it. Um, and then also, uh, three other guys and their wives uh, who came around me at a time and believed in redemption when I didn't even believe it for myself. And that is uh, Tom and Frank and Joe right there. And so those are our founding elders. And we get to do this today because they believed in something. Okay? We get to do this today because they believed in something. And uh, in that time, we sat around and they said, okay, guys, let's, let's do this. And, uh, and two things at our first meeting came out uh, in the first meeting. One, after we kind of decided, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, one was we, we read this verse right here. Okay, Joe actually read it. Truly, truly, I said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That actually in the gospel and only, I believe, in the gospel, can something actually die? Can something end and come out better and more beautiful on the other side. This is death and resurrection, right? And uh, I mean, that's what we celebrated today, that Logan was saying that there's a death to self and yes to Jesus, right? And that's ultimately what all of this is about. It's individual redemption, but corporate redemption. And in that meeting, Frank said, hey, I'm only doing this with all you guys, right? If we all agree on this principle, this is God's church. That's the first time it came out. And then as we were in that meeting, I, I looked at those guys and we had a conversation. I said, hey, listen, I just got to share this with you. In, in, in Lindsay and I's prayer, in, in the response to say yes to this, here's what we feel like we've heard just so we're communicating with you. And I've heard a couple of things in my life that I'm pretty certain were God, and this is one of them. And it was this. It's going to be hard for five years. This is going to be hard for five years. Not like hard like it's always hard to do something. Not hard like, uh, you know, like whenever you're trying to start something new, it's going to be hard, but like a different level of hard, like, a, a, like an emotional, relational, social, financial, all of it, it. Like it's just going to be hard. And so I told those, those guys that at the beginning. Like, it's going to be hard for five years. You sure you want to do this? Frank said, as long as we say it's God's church, I'm in. 
So did the other guys. And so we started off. We started off in uh, the early days. We were kind of forming on who we were, but we knew that we just had to keep on sowing. And you might be at a place in life right now where you're sowing and you're sowing and you're sowing. And this morning, as we're talking through this redemption story, I'm going to hope you're going to find some encouragement for what you're sowing in right now. Because it is true that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. But early on, it doesn't always feel like that. And so we were sowing in those early days, and we had to build a team, right? Because you can't do this alone. And so uh, we had a, this uh, group of people that uh, I was kind of connected to. And so I reached out to one of them. His name was Jake. And Jake, uh, I knew enough about Jake to know his skill and his integrity. And so I grabbed a coffee with Jake, and we sat down, and I said, hey, Jake, here's the deal, man. I need you to help us get started, and I need you to run our kids' ministry for 10 weeks, every week for 10 weeks. Can you do that? He's like, all right, man, I'll do it. That's kind of how Jake is, right? He's like, all right, I'll do it. It's been five years. Jake is still in the back. (laughs) A couple weeks later, I I sat down with a group of people uh, over coffee, and it was uh, Carolyn and Vern Newman and um, Connie and Bill Burson, and they were in the first service today. And uh, we sat down and they said, hey, how can we help? And we just started laying it out. And Connie said, hey, listen, Stephen, I want to know, I'll run your setup team for six months, okay? I'll run your setup team for six months. We were going into the movie theater. And at the, the movie theater, we had a 24-foot trailer. We had everything in there. I mean, sound system, kid stuff, everything you could possibly imagine. And Connie said, I'll run that team and I'll get that place set up for six months. Connie ran our setup team for four years. Some of you are like, I am never giving you a timeline, ever. (laughs) When you keep on sowing, and when God has called you to do something, even when the reaping seems little or not joyous, you stay faithful, and you keep on sowing. And as you keep on sowing, God will always be faithful to his promises, And here are a few things that I've seen him do during those times. Let me give you this story. We were about three months into it, and Lindsay and I had just gotten married, and we went away on our honeymoon, and we got back, and it was a couple weeks after we had gotten back, and we had done the setup. And setup at the movie theater, by the way, uh, it was about um, an hour and a half process or so with about 10 to 20 people, okay? And so that's a lot of hours going into it, and it was cold as could be, right? And so everyone had gotten there at 6.30, another team at 7, another team at 7.30. We'd done all the work. We had gotten everything set up. We got the, you know, the stage set up in one auditorium, and we got everything else set up in another auditorium, and we had frozen that morning. And, uh, and so we're in there, and we're ready, and 62 people showed up. I was like, man, we had more than this in the Holiday Inn, and that was easy to set up. And I went home that day and I told Lindsay, I said, we're not going to make it. It, We're not, this ship is sailing and we're not going to be on it. (laughs) I said, we're just, we're not going to make it. And I said, if there's not X amount of people at our Christmas service, I don't recommend this, but I said, if there's not X amount of people at our Christmas service, I just don't even think we should go back in January. This ship is not going anywhere. And there was just enough people at that Christmas service that Lindsay was like, all right, now you got to show up. And by the way, 
Isn't it great when God gives you the perfect wife at the right time? Come on, man. So if you're out there waiting, she's coming, right? I prayed for seven years. God sent the right person at the right time, right woman at the right time. And guess what he did? Right woman at the right time, right? He's awesome like that. That brings me to this point. What God did then over the next few years is he sent the exact right people at the right time. And one of the things we always have to be aware of in our life when we're sowing is when God sends that right person in. And sometimes we, we're not smart enough to realize that they're the right people, right? And so then that just takes God's Holy Spirit kind of working through us. But other times we know exactly when it was the right person at the right time. And so I remember still, it was like January of 17 and uh, it was pretty hard. And like God was faithful to his word, it was hard, right? And we were just a couple months into it. And I remember the first time Josh and Stella Snipes and their kids showed up. Josh was the guy playing bass today. We got, we got a really bad picture, Josh. You can throw up there if you can find it. Okay, it's actually pretty funny. And uh, Josh and Stella showed up, and we became good friends with them. Oh, look, he's always got that face. All right. For the next year or two, God just kept showing them the right people. There's a verse in... I can't remember which or what book it is now, but uh, the Apostle Paul's writing, and he said, and, uh, and Anisimus showed up, and he encouraged me. Sometimes we're on assignments in people's lives where we're simply just to show up and encourage. Sometimes um, when, when we don't know how somebody else is sowing, we don't know what promise God has given. We don't know where they're at in the journey. We just know that they're sowing and they might be sowing something, uh, you know, maybe it is a business or a ministry or something, but maybe it's just they're sowing into a child or they're sowing into an idea that God has given them. And, they're sowing, and our job is just to show up and to be the encouragement. And God faithfully just kept sending the exact right people at the exact right time. There was a season in the church. Our band is awesome now. Like, it's amazing. I get up here and I look and I'm just like, this is incredible, right? You guys are so talented. Like, it's awesome. Okay, there was a time when our band was Lindsay playing her guitar, the kick drum, and singing all at the same time. Very pregnant, okay? And so we get in there and she'd just be wailing away on that kick drum, right? Even then she wouldn't let me in the band, right? And we'd have the band that we had. Three of them, four of them some days. When we had a keyboard player, we thought we were like killing it. And then in July, Matthew showed up. I was like, who's this kid? And he's like, he plays the drums. I'm like, I don't care who he is, put him up there. Right? <laughs> and for four years now, I don't know how many of you have come up to me and said, dude, that kid can play drums. Yeah, he can, can he? But you know what he is also tell me? He said, you know, it's not just amazing how Matthew plays the drums. He said, what gets me more is when he stops playing the drums and he just puts his hands up in worship. Because it's one thing to play the drums. It's another thing to be a worshiper of God when you're doing it, right? And that's his girlfriend clapping. <laughs> I don't know if it was. It could have been anybody, okay? That was a joke. That was a joke. Oh, no. So then we had a drummer. And God just kept sending the right people at the right time. And as God was sending the right people at the right time, we learned another lesson. 
we revisited Frank's statement that this was God's church. And so I did this sermon series called Church Inc., like Church Incorporated. And in that, we brought out a couple of points. And here were the points. We said, as long as we're going to be a church, church is going to be not a business. It's not about money. It's not a building. It's not just about a destination place. We didn't have a building at the time, so we had to go with that one. So it's not a social club. Can't just be for a certain type. When we originally started the church, we had another word in it. It was Redemption City Church. And we ended up changing it for a couple of reasons. One of them is because if you say Redemption City Church really fast on stage, it comes out as something else. You can practice on the way home. And we had some, someone give announcements, and it was as clear as day, right? But that's not the only reason we changed it. See, in the midst of all of that, when we were, you know, sewing and trying to make it, we eventually dropped the city because, you know, we put Redemption City in the church, and we, I think we believed this for the right reasons, but it was like, look at us and look what we're going to do for the city. And we got at a place and we said, hold on. Maybe God just wants to do something in us. Let's just stop for a second. Not think ourselves more highly than we ought. What if this is really just about what God wants to do here and whoever shows up? And what we realized is that the church was existing and bearing fruit, not because we were to be some force in our city, but because God had some stuff he wanted to do in all of us. And we didn't rename it Redemption Family Church because that sounds a little creepy, but that's the word we began to use. It's just a family. And anyone I would talk to and I'd say, what do you love about being a part of the Redemption, uh, Redemption Church? What do you love about being? They would say, it's just, it's a family. And Logan even put it in his redemption story. I didn't even tell him to. He just did. It's a family. And that's who we became. And so God kept sending the right people at the right time. And we just focused in on that this was going to be God's church. And if it was going to be God's church, then we had to be a family that took care of each other and loved each other and allowed anyone to come in and to not become a social club and to, uh, and to not become about all of these other things that church can become about sometimes and just focus in and just let Jesus be in charge of his church. And so in our quest to do that, things started to grow a little bit, and we found ourselves kind of in a little better spot in like June of 2019, and then the four most dangerous words happened. Stephen saying, I have an idea. Okay. And I said, hey, guys, I think there's this piece of property that we should buy out in Perrysburg. And we sat down. And I don't make decisions like this myself. But we sat down with Frank and Tom. And I laid out this plan. And we should do this. And I came up with this idea. And I said, why don't we sit down in front of the congregation and ask them if they think it's a good idea. And so we did. And 99% of the people said they think it was a good idea to buy this land. And so at the end of it, I said, hey, guys, we're like 10 to 20% in budget away from being able to afford this. Like, we're getting there. Right? This was three years in. Within the next 30 days, a couple of things happened and 20% of our budget was wiped out. Gone. 20% in 30 days. Now we're 40% away. And I just thought, okay. Now that started a six-month period that I, if I could use any word, it would just be stagnation. We're just stagnant. And that stagnation kind of carried us into like February of 2020. 
And I still remember I was preaching in a sermon series uh, entitled Sunday School, and we were preaching uh, through the story of Abraham. And uh, I still like can picture this day, like where I was standing on the movie theater stage, and uh, and we were preaching through the story of Abraham. And one of the beauties in the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, uh, or, or that he, when he was called to sacrifice his son Isaac, is that when you begin to compare all of the narratives about that particular story that are found throughout the rest of the scriptures, you begin to realize what was going on in Abraham as he was being called to do that, and that he had known that God had made a promise that through this son, that God would bless the whole world. And so even though God asked him to do something very hard that I'm sure would have brought tears to any of our eyes, Abraham never lost faith in the promise. And the beauty of the story of Abraham is that even as he rose the knife in this story, real story, because God had asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac, and then right there in that moment, God was working when Abraham didn't know that God was working and he came in. But the point that I had made in that moment is this, that we always have to speak faith into the promises of God, just like Abraham did. That we always believe, no matter what, that God, if he is, every promise of God is yes and amen, that if God has promised something, even if you're sowing in tears, you will one day reap with shouts of joy. And so I, I preached that sermon this morning, or that morning, and, uh, and it started to like, you know, kind of grow my faith a little bit. And that morning, we actually sang a song that we had never sung before. I think it was the first time we'd ever sung this song. It was a song called Waymaker, Right? Even when I don't see it, you're working, right? And so we sang that song on that morning, and I was like, okay, man, maybe, all right, God, let's go. Let's, get, let's break out of this six months of stagnation. Let's see what you want to do. And what did God want to do? March of 2020. Shut down two weeks later. Everything gets closed down. Everything, right? And so our trailer's now just sitting there. When we were at church meeting in a movie theater. People were worried about germs, Okay, we would set up. I saw the same Skittle every day for 10 months, all right? I still have shoes that have movie theater stuck to them, okay? So everything shuts down, all right? Oh, man, now what, God? Well, we did what we could do because you just keep on selling. So we turned our church into a little 600-foot, 600 square foot um, studio. And we just said, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to do Sunday morning. We're going to do Sunday night. We're going to do kids live. We're going to do youth live. We're just going to do everything that we possibly can because this is all we can do right now. And we're just going to keep on sewing. We're going to keep on sewing. And we're going to keep on sewing. And then we got to Good Friday. Remember Good Friday of 2020? And we were like, okay, this is obviously the weirdest Easter that anyone's ever had. This is Good Friday. What can we do? And so we came up with an idea. This is one of Stephen's good ideas. We came up with an idea. And uh, we said, we're going to do a Good Friday service that kind of walks through the day. And so we did a 9 a.m. service, a noon service, and a 3 service, all live, of course. And between the noon and the 3, I remember I was at home, and there were three things. One of them was the church and two other things that had just been stressing me out and laying me down in the middle of all the COVID and everything else. And uh, I remember praying through those three things. And that day, as clear as anything I've heard, God spoke two things. First thing he spoke was this, the five years is only going to be four. I've relented. 
Next thing he spoke was something's going to happen in the next month that's going to change everything. So I went back and I preached that last service and Jason, our sound guy, looked at me and he goes, I don't know what just happened between when you left and when you got back, but something happened. I can see it on your face. 30 days or so later, Frank, one of our elders, gets a call. The call is from a realtor who says, hey, there's this church building out in Monclova. Are you guys interested? So Frank calls me. He says, Stephen, there's this church building out in Monclova. Are you guys interested? Are we interested? I said, I don't know. Let me drive by it. So I drove and I got off the Dussel exit and I, because I've been well-trained in church, friends. Well-trained in church leadership by the best. Got off and I started my odometer, right? That's the mile thing. Is that correct? Yeah. Started it and we started driving and I said, 3.1 miles from the exit. I said, nah, we're not interested. It's too far out. Nobody will ever show up. So I called Frank and said, listen, it probably wasn't that disrespectful. <laughs> I just said, I don't think we're interested. It's too far out. We're going to go out into the country and die, right? Forgotten. That's what I thought. Okay. We're like a cow. Okay. I want to be a cow. So I said, yeah, we don't want it. About two weeks later, though, I said, but guys, I have an idea. My idea was to buy another building that was more money, but closer to the expressway, that I thought, this will be perfect. This will be perfect. And we can figure it out. We can figure it out. We can figure it out. I can come up with a plan. I can brainstorm. We can come up with a plan. We can come up with a plan. And at some point, we said, I, I said to Frank, I said, why don't we just go look through the other church building just to see what, you know, we might want in a building someday. So we walked through the building. Guys, this is how thick I am. Some of you are like, why do I believe you ever? Okay, listen. Okay. This is why we have a plurality of leadership around here. Okay. We went through, I walked through this whole building. The realtor gave us the tour. She gave me the big, thick pamphlet with everything in it. And I drove home and I thought, all right, God, thanks for showing me that. Now let's get back to my plan. Drove home, Lindsay was out there and I showed Lindsay the big pamphlet. And I said, yeah, look at this place. We are not interested, are we? And Lindsay went through the pamphlet and she said, I think we should be interested. And I looked at Lindsay and I said, yeah, so do I. Yeah. So I called Frank and I was like, hey, Frank, yeah, we're interested. And uh, brought everyone else through the building, right? And, you know, Tom and Angie live out in Oak Harbor. It's, you know, a couple hours away. Not that far. First thing we said was, hey, guys, we ain't buying this building if it means you're out. Church family is more important than a church building. So we don't go anywhere without you guys. So you got to go first. Tom said, we'll be there. So we picked the building. We went after it. And you guys know, know most of this story. We put in a bid. The realtor came back and said, you got to raise your bid. There's another competing person against, you know, your guys' bid. And we looked at each other and said, we don't make dumb financial decisions. We haven't for five years. We're not going to start now. Our bid is our bid. I said, all right, the other bid's higher. I said, okay, that's fine. The church had to vote on who to give it to, us or the higher bid, and the church voted unanimously to give it to us at the lower bid. 
because we stuck true to who we were. And then we moved in. And for the last, or those 10 weeks, you guys were amazing. I mean, just amazing. You're not supposed to do a capital campaign in the summer. We did. You're not supposed to do a capital campaign in the middle of a global crisis. We did. And we forged a path over the last year. And we opened in September of 2020. And I can tell you, over the last year, I've gone back to Psalm 126. And I read through it. And I think of all of the last four years. And then I get to verse four where it says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap. And I roll into this parking lot every single Sunday and it's not just about the building, but I get in here and I get to look at all of you and think about everything that has happened over the last year, how we have been together as a church family, how we have rallied around each other, the people who have found healing and salvation, the way that this church has come around every single one of us in the midst of the craziest year that any of us have ever walked through and how God has added to the number. And I walk in here and I just go, because those who sow in tears get to reap with shouts of joy. It's a promise of God. And I don't know where you're at in your sowing right now. I don't know what kid you're praying for. I don't know what thing you're trying to start. I don't know where you're at if you're at the beginning or if you're near the end. But I know that God will always send the right people at exactly the right time if you remain faithful. I know that it is always worth to continue sowing because when it is God's providence, you will reap with shouts of joy. So don't stop sowing. Don't stop. Oh, you get to reap. It's the best part. So what happens next? What happens next? What do the next five years look like? I want to tell you two things that I think the next five years look like. First, I think the next five years look exactly like the last year has looked. We're just going to keep walking down the plan that God has given us. You got a bookmark right here to remind you of the plan. Seven values that we build everything we do around here. Number one, this is God's church. It's God's. Jesus is the head, all right? It's not mine. It's not the elders. It's not the people who give the most. It's not the people who show up the most. It's his. Number two, church should be simple but meaningful. And that's what, here's what that means. It means when you show up here every week, we've got a game plan. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to teach out of the Bible. We're going to pray together. And we're going to be a family. And that's all the playbook we got. That's all we got. Number three, that everyone, everyone is invited to experience redemption. Some of you have come up and told me this. You've said, you know, this place it's a place of healing. It's a place of healing. It's a place where my belief in church, my belief in church family began to breathe again. And they've shared the story with me of how God has healed them physically, sure, emotionally, relationally. I don't know many of you know that story. You know that healing that it has brought you. And when they say that to me and they always go, do you know that this is a place like that? I always go, yeah, I do. I don't always say this. In fact, I rarely ever say it, but what I'm saying is not because I've seen it in you, 
because I've known it in me. I had another conversation with somebody else and they said, what do you love about the church? This person doesn't go to our church. Probably never will. And I just said, here's what I love about our church. I think there are people that go to our church that didn't think they were allowed to go to church anymore. And they do. And I think there are some people that don't go to our church because there are people in our church that go to our church because they can't go to any other church. And given the option between the two, I would much rather be the church for the people who can't go to any other church than to be the church that the one people want to go to but can go to any other church. I'll be that one every single day. Because that's the church that Jesus came to plant. That's the one he came to plant. So for five years, guys, these have been our values. For last four, yeah, we believe the Bible. And so guess what we get to do next week? We get to open up the Bible right at the beginning in Genesis 1 and talk about how Satan has just absolutely destroyed it, but God always has a plan to redeem it. And so we're going to open up the Bible right in the beginning next week. And if you got anyone in your life who's looking for a church, bring them next week. Let's fill this place up. Oh, and here's what we're going to do next week. This is going to blow your minds. Oh, my gosh. Okay. When you walk in next week, because next week is actually our birthday, five years birthday. We're celebrating a week early because of St. H. Genesis 1. When you show up next week, there is going to be a hot black liquid available for you to drink. One week, one week, one week, okay? You will never get coffee again. One week, all right? I'm actually serious. There will be coffee next week, okay. We believe in making disciples and servant leaders. Real leadership serves people. You wanna know who our most faithful setup team volunteer was for five years? Tom Hill, an elder who drove in from Oak Harbor every Sunday morning. Got there at 6.30 when it was freezing and set up the auditorium because real leadership serves people. And so we're going to develop leaders. Part of that actually brings us into our second thing that we're going to do as a church. First is just keep doing what we're doing. The second thing we're going to do as a church is it's time for us to begin to look for opportunities where we bring redemption to the world. And so we have no plan for this yet, but I'm just going to say publicly for the first time, uh, we're going to start looking and asking God, what does church planting look like for us as a church? Because church planting has always been God's strategy for redemption. Always, from the very beginning, going and planting churches. And so we want to plant churches that believe the things that we believe, that believe in the Bible. Because don't we all know right now that it is important that for all the churches that stop believing in the Bible, that there are Bible-believing churches that come up after them. And so we got to plan them. And so we're going to start planting churches that God would call us to do. And the only way we can do that is by raising up disciples and servant leaders in here. There might be some of you in here. You know why I'm in ministry today? I'm in ministry today, well, outside of all the sovereignty of God and all that kind of stuff, right? Not that I'm like downplaying that in any way, but I was, I was home for a college break once and uh, I was in church, 
and the, the pastor, I just, I don't need to speak in code, Lee was preaching, and he said, uh, hey, someday we're gonna plant campuses, and we don't know who's gonna run them, but some of you in this seat are going to. And God grabbed my heart. I dropped out of college and started an internship a month later, right? Amen, thank you. <laughs> and listen, some of you in here are gonna plant a church, and we're gonna pay for it. We're gonna come along you, alongside you, and you're gonna go plant a church somewhere. And so we're just going to start saying that, okay? Second thing is, we're going to have to go to the world. It's time to take redemption to the world. For five years, we've had next steps or intro to redemption classes, and we have had some fine moments in those, let me tell you, okay? Especially when we get to the Q&A part and people start asking questions. But I get one question every time for five years. It's usually a former Baptist, okay? They raise their hand, and they go, hey, what do you guys do with world missions? And for five years, I've said the same thing. Nothing really, but when we know it's the right time, it'll be the right time, and we'll get behind it. And we're gonna wait till there's somebody inside of our church that we know that we're supposed to partner with. I've been saying that for five years. In a moment, I'm gonna bring up some missionaries that have started calling Redemption their home church. We're gonna talk about how we can partner with them in the future to bring redemption to the world, okay? Number six, we believe in a post-denominational and multi-generational experience. We said this, because if we went around and I asked you in here who was Presbyterian, who was Lutheran, who was Methodist, who was Catholic, who was Pentecostal, who was non-denominational, who was this, who was that, who was that, we'd get hands all over the place. And so we've just decided that we're going to unify around core doctrine, okay? And we're going to hold fast to what we have, which are seven, I believe, seven core doctrines, seven or nine, depending on how you lay them all out. And each of those have more in them, but those are what we unify around, because I know we're all coming from different backgrounds. And we also believe in a multi-generational experience. Look around. See all those old people? Some of you are like, I don't. You are. Man, from the beginning, God has blessed this church being multi-generational. Amen. Isn't it awesome? It's so cool. It's so cool. Number seven, we believe in financial integrity. We believe in financial integrity. And uh, that's one of our values, and it's important. But let me tell you why it's, why it's important. Reason number one why it's important is this, because for five years, there has never been a moment, I would not lie about this, there has not been a moment when a legitimate need was presented to our church, financial need, and we did not say yes, okay? For five years, we have said yes every single day time. And we will continue to do that. We set money aside every single week, just like we're instructed to do personally in the scriptures. We set aside money every single week as a church that we don't touch for anything else. And that money is to take care of the needs that are presented within our church family. And so we pay rent and we fix cars and we buy groceries and we bless people who need it. And we will continue to do that. Second thing, we will continue to do is we will always continue to operate with as much efficiency as possible because the gospel is powerful enough. It's powerful enough. And I want you guys to be able to hear well when you get in here and all of that kind of stuff. And we got to have something on the screen and I get all of that, but we operate with as much efficiency as possible because we got a powerful gospel that can do all the work for us. Amen? All right. Okay, why don't we do this? 
I'll wrap up at the end. Why don't we bring up uh, David and Billy? Okay, where are you guys at? They're right over there. Why don't you guys come on up? Hey, can we give them a, a warm welcome? By the way, it was about two months ago, Billy came up to me and she handed me a slip of paper and she said, hey, I want you to read this. I think God told me to write it down and give it to you. And uh, you know what it was? You know what it said? Billy knows what it said because you're the one who gave it to me. Billy said, I just want you to know it's time that redemption goes to the world. And, uh, and she, she told me that two months ago because God told her to write it down and give it to me. And I didn't even realize that and remember that until this week I was writing down, it's time to take redemption to the world. And then I saw that piece of paper and I was like, yeah, God, it's your church. You know what you're doing. And now part of that is you guys. And so why don't you share your story a little bit for us? Hey, everyone, I'm David. This is my wife, Billy. We have four children. Amelie and Annika are twin girls. They're 11. Elijah is eight, and Noah is six. And for the past 16 or so years, we have had the joy and the honor and the pleasure of joining God as he makes the gospel known in the Republic of Guinea, West Africa. We live out in the bush in one of the world's most underdeveloped countries, and it's an adventure. Uh, We love this church, and we're so thankful for your commitment to sound doctrine and for passionately pursuing God and the things of God. And this morning, uh, the Lord brought to mind a Charles Spurgeon quote, preach ye Christ and Christ and Christ and Christ. Yes, I love that. Every time we come here, we hear the gospel preached. The gospel of Jesus Christ is central. I'm just so appreciative of that. In fact, over the last few weeks, there was a great sermon series about the gospel as embodied in the love of Christ. And uh, one of the people we explored in that series was the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman who was an outcast from her community, she had to go draw water in the heat of the day because of, you know, the shunning that had taken place. And, and out there at that well, she encountered Jesus. And Jesus didn't condemn her. He offered her the water of life, the living water. And let me tell you this, when someone meets Jesus in the scriptures, so often, what is one of the first things they want to do? They want to go and tell Others, And that is exactly what this Samaritan woman did. She left her pot at that well. She went into the very town that had shunned her and rejected her and despised her. And she said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And for whatever reason, those people were intrigued. They said, let's go see. They followed her out of the city toward Jesus. And as these crowds of people, most likely dressed in white, were coming out of the city, Jesus is sitting there with his disciples and watching them approach. And he turns to his disciples and he says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? But I say to you, lift up your eyes. The fields are white unto harvest. The fields are ripe for harvest. Jesus saw those people with love and compassion as people who needed the gospel. They needed salvation, and he was there for that purpose to bring it to them. That heart of Jesus for the lost has become our heart for the lost. That heart has caused Billy and our children and I 
to uproot ourselves from this comfortable world that we live in in North America and go to the bush of Guinea, West Africa. And let me tell you, Billy is right. It's an adventure living there. The roads are falling to pieces. They're not necessarily paved. City water comes intermittently, if at all. City power, the same story. It's a challenge living there, but we endure all things for the sake of the gospel. I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. In the nation of Guinea, a nation of 12 million people live six million Fulani people. We call them the Fulbe because that's what they call themselves. And they are 99.99% Muslim. In fact, there are only a few hundred Christians that we know of in the entire country among the Fulbe people. And God has called our family to work as co-laborers with him to take the gospel to the Fulbe people. And that is what we have been doing, as Billy told you, for about 16 years now. God has given us many lessons over the years. We didn't go in there knowing it all or having everything figured out, and we still don't know it all and don't have everything figured out. But by his grace, he's shown us a few key points that have helped open doors for the gospel among the full bay. The first point is demonstrating compassion, showing them the love of Christ in a physical, tangible way so that they can see that we truly do care for them because of the gospel. The second thing is that we build redemptive relationships with people, their relationships with the goal of sharing the gospel with them. The third thing is we sow the gospel. We were talking about sowing and reaping today. We sow the gospel abundantly in every every way. It's so many different ways we're sowing the gospel right now over and over and over again through this way. And that means in this, this, this uh, outreach, everything we're doing, Abundant gospel sowing. The next thing is to make disciples, not just converts. That means we want to win someone to Christ, but then train them to be fully equipped, mature followers of Christ, able to then share the gospel with their own people. Which leads into the final thing, which is training local leaders. Because local leaders are going to be the only way to reach a multiplication of the gospel in Guinea. There are never going to be enough foreigners coming in from the outside to share the gospel there. So in all these ways, we are working to reach people for Jesus Christ among the full bay. We believe that good works open doors for the good news. And one of the ways that we're able to share the gospel is through a ministry of burn care. Guinea is very underdeveloped. They still cook outside over rocks. And so there's an open fire. Many times the women have long skirts that will catch fire. Um, in this particular instance, when we got a knock on our door, there were two girls there. They had been playing in the trash heap that was being burned, and something exploded between the two sisters, such that Ramatulai was burned all on her right side, and Ragiatu was burned all on her left side. And for five months, Ramatulai came to our house. And do we have any nurses here? Raise your hand if you're a nurse. Okay, so you know, while you're caring for a patient, they're a captive audience. And burn care takes quite a while, actually. And so as they were in our courtyard, we shared the gospel with them. I was happy to affect the trajectory of their life. She's able to get married without shame. She's able to move her arm and have use of her arm in her life. Um, but you know what I'm reminded of when I sit there and I debride a burn? 
It is the most putrid smell I have ever smelled in my life, burned and rotting flesh. And it gets me every time, I think. Is this the smell of hell? And we're able to share hope that keeps them out of hell, right? We're able to share the gospel and the hope of an eternity with Christ. So on a few occasions as they sat in that courtyard, we had the opportunity to share Christ with them. We had the opportunity to go to their home and visit them and the rest of their family and share the gospel. Good works open doors for the good news, but also we are called to make disciples, not just converts. There was a young man that I met in an evangelistic Bible study that we started in a different neighborhood of our house. His name was Alpha, and he had been invited by the host the host of the courtyard there who was allowing us to have the Bible study. And he was a very well-versed Muslim young man. And as we studied the Bible together, he would pull out his Quran and he would counter with different teachings from the Quran on many occasions. And so still, he was interested, he was engaged, he seemed to be open. And as time goes by, I was more and more encouraged with what he was you know, this his apparent openness. So I decided we need to invite this guy to our, sorry, spider web hanging down. <laughs> no. So we, we, um, we had to, we, I decided to invite him to our Easter retreat. Every year our church holds an Easter retreat at a remote location where we have a, a time of worship from Good Friday to Easter Sunday morning worship and Bible study and fellowship and sharing meals together. It's a great time. And I thought this could be the opportunity for this young man to be around other people who've come out of the Muslim faith and trusted Christ. He can be encouraged by them. He can go deeper in his knowledge and hear the gospel clearly presented. And we can perhaps see this young man, Alpha, come to faith in Christ at Easter. Well, I invited him. He agreed to attend. We were excited about that. So there he came at our Easter retreat, and, and I was very excited. I was like, he's here. Yes, this is, this is great. But little by little, as I watched him, I saw his countenance change. He, it was almost as though a shadow came over his face, and he began to become argumentative and combative with the other people in attendance. It was, it was definitely not what I'd hoped for. This all culminated on Sunday morning where near the end of our, our program, he just got up, grabbed his backpack with all his possessions, and he just walked out and started walking down the road. Now, this is a place where we had traveled about an hour and a half by car to get there, and here he is walking back home. And I'm thinking to myself, he's going to be walking for a couple of days here. This is, you know, this is definitely not the outcome I hoped for. So a little later, I was driving back to our town, and, and I came across him walking beside the road. And I stopped, and I said, hey, you know, you need to get back in the car. I'll, I'll give you a ride home. I'm sorry you didn't have a great experience here. So I took him back to our town. Eventually, he agreed to get in the car, dropped him off. I didn't think I'd see much of him after that. And it's true, I didn't see very much of him for a good while. But then one of our believers called and said, you need to come down to, our, to my coffee shop because... Alpha's here. So I went down, found him in a pretty sorry state. He had gotten sick. He was penniless. He just wanted to go back to his village about an hour away, but he didn't even have any way to get there. So I gave him some money to help him get home, prayed for him, and I thought, you know, this is probably the last time I, I might even see you. He went, 
and I didn't hear again for a long period of time until a few months later, probably about nine or so months later, I got another phone call from one of our believers saying, hey, Alpha's back in town. You need to come see him again. So I went to see him, only it was like seeing a different person. Whereas before his face was darkness and he was sickly, now he was joyful and he was happy to see me. He had been reading the Bible while he was in his village. And God had used the scripture and the seeds that we had planted to touch his heart and change his heart and open his heart to the gospel. And amen. He began attending our worship, not with any sort of reluctance, but with joy. And he was eager to get involved in offering to do different things in our worship service. And to this day, with this picture behind me was taken in January when I went back for a visit. He is there being discipled by other full bay believers. He is growing in his faith and he is eager to serve. And that is what makes it worth it, giving up all the comforts that we have here in the United States of America, going to a developing world country where we don't even have running water every day to take the gospel for the first time to someone who has never heard it before and to see the power of the gospel change his life and make him a new creation in Jesus Christ. That is why we go and that is why we need your prayers. This November 18th, we are flying back. God has finally opened the door for us to get our visas and our plane tickets to head back despite all the COVID restrictions. We are headed back for another term of three years there in Guinea, West Africa. We need you to stand behind us, Redemption Church, in prayer. Lift up our family, but more than that, lift up the full bay people who are living in spiritual darkness. You know, if we go over there, if anything bad befalls us, our eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. But for them, it's not the same. Anything bad that befalls them, they are looking at a Christless eternity. Pray for them. Pray for God to open their hearts through the power of his Holy Spirit to the truth of the gospel. We just thank you so much. Hey, guys. Why don't you guys, David, Billy, why don't you guys stay up here real quick? Hey, let's pray for these guys, okay? We'll probably do this again before you leave, but you're on stage, so we might as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, how you have just worked in their lives and their family to want to do this and to go bring the gospel to the world. And we pray that as they go back, Lord, that you would continue to prepare the way practically and all the things that need to happen from a government perspective, restrictions, all of it, Lord. We trust you and we ask your provision. Father, I pray then that you would also supply every need that they have to operate in the ministry the way they need to. And that when they arrive back, Father, that they would know clearly that you have called them and exactly what to do next. May their ministry then be fruitful. We pray for salvations. We pray for uh, new churches, new groups to be formed. We pray that people will come around them. Uh, Lord, that you would open up new doors and give them new ideas for exactly what you want to do to reach these people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.